This is a YCF special. For the last few weeks, we had been hearing rustling in the bushes in the backyard. It only started at nighttime, though. It wasn't all day. And the problem with this is that during the summertime, I would go out and water at night. So that way, the, the water would just sit in the yard and it would help it. You know, during the daytime, it, it really wouldn't do much for it. Uh, so I really wanted the, the water to saturate the soil. So I would go out there and water at night. And so the first time I heard it, I thought, ah. Oh, Maybe it's a, a mouse or a rat that's running around in our ivy going into the avocado tree. Uh, maybe it's that, no big deal. You know, I'm bigger than a mouse and a rat, not an issue. But then it got more aggressive, right? So then it's like rustling really through as I'm watering back there and I'm not going that close anymore. I'm kind of using the water, you know, like the jet spray at a distance uh, just because I want to keep a good length away from me and whatever is in there. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe it's a possum. We have possums in the area. Again, I'm not too concerned about a possum. They'll move, they'll go run and hide. They don't, they don't want to aggressively attack me. Uh, so I, I thought that. Then it started getting more aggressive. I'm like, oh man, maybe it's a skunk. We have skunks in the neighborhood. I definitely don't want a skunk coming at me and spraying me. That's gonna ruin everything uh, for a long time. That's just not fun. And then I thought maybe it's a raccoon. We have raccoons in the area. And then I was like, you know what? The neighbors said there was a snake in the ivy. What if it's a snake? Oh, this isn't good. What, what if it's a dragon? Oh, man, now i got to fight a dragon. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. So uh, one morning, I just had enough of this, and I said, I'm done. I'm not going to uh, tolerate whatever creature is roaming and taking over the bushes at night. We're going to put an end to it. So in our garage, we have a pitchfork. You know, good old-fashioned mob, and a pitchfork idea came into my head. So I grabbed it. And I said, we're going to take Bear out. Bear's going to come with me. And I got me, the pitchfork, and my dog. And we're going to handle this situation. Me, the dog, the pitchfork. We go out there, and I'm not watering because I'm ready for an encounter. I'm ready for a battle. And I start, like, poking at the ivy a little bit. You know, again, at a safe distance. Um, and I'm poking at it, and uh, nothing happens. I'm like, okay. So I pick up the water hose, and I start watering. I set the pitchfork down. I tell Bear, just sit there, you know, so he's next to me. And I start, and then I hear it. And it's in the avocado tree, and I hear it from the very top. And it starts coming all the ways down. And our avocado tree is huge. It's like just a massive tree. And it starts coming all the ways down, and I kind of got a glimpse of it. And I really was like, oh, my gosh, what is this thing? Like, now I'm like, okay. So I, I'm keeping my eye on it, and I go and get my pitchfork. And I'm like, come on, Bear, let's do this. And Bear gets up, and he's ready, and we go. And then all of a sudden, it makes a leap from the, the avocado tree into the bushes. And I go running, and I'm like, come on, Bear, let's go. And I'm running, and I turn around and look, and Bear's gone. <laughs> yeah. He, he booked it. He was by the back door of the house, sitting there looking at me like, you got this, bro. It's all you and the pitchfork. And so I walked away. I put the pitchfork down. I said, turn off the water, and I went in the house. Uh, my, my fearless dog uh, proved to be that in the fight or flight situation of his life, he chose flight. 
and he would continue to choose flight. I've learned this about my dog. If, if, if uh, something happens, it's not the dog who's going to protect us. I've got to protect now me, Justine, Remy, Reed, and the dog and the chickens. Uh, so I've got a lot on my plate. But that's kind of the idea of what we're talking about today. We're talking about the power to change my fear into faith. And uh, the one thing we need to know about fear, and it's up there on your notes, is that fear is binding. Uh, fear will bind us. Uh, first, our Second Timothy, we're going to look at two scriptures before we jump into our passage for today. But Second Timothy 1, 6-7 says, For this reason I, remained, uh, I remind you to fan into flames the gifts of God, which you, through the laying of my hands, uh, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And then Romans uh, 8.15 from the Net Translation says this, uh, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. So I'm hoping you're catching here Paul's theology on fear, that this is a spirit that works contrary to God, and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Did you catch that? He says uh, to Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, right? So this is more than just an emotion or a feeling sometimes, that this is something that might be attacking us. Uh, And then he continues in Romans when he says, uh, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery leading again to fear. So fear is binding, and it cripples us, and it keeps us trapped. Again, it's, it's contrary to what God has given us, right? God gave us uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works in our lives to produce power, love, and self-control in us. And that is the Spirit we're supposed to have, and that's the Spirit that, uh, the, the Spirit of fear is the Spirit that makes us slaves and binds us. Uh, I think if Pastor Ken was teaching today, he would summarize fear this way. Uh, it would be false evidence appearing real. Did you guys catch that? It spells out fear. Uh, He does that a lot with his messages. I don't know how he does it, uh, but he just makes acronyms and all this stuff, and he's so quick at doing it. But if he was here, I think that's what he would put it. It was false evidence appearing real in our lives. Um, I love scary movies. Uh, I know, right? Horrible Christian. Uh, Pray for me. Probably for salvation. Uh, but I do, I enjoy them. I always have. I, I, it's like a childhood memory. <laughs> oh, this is a twisted one. But it's a childhood memory of like watching scary movies. My dad and my parents, you know, the, the 80s and 90s, uh, there wasn't like, you can't watch this, don't let your kids watch that. It was like, if we're watching it, they're watching it. We got one TV, everyone's watching movies. So we would watch scary movies. I remember like watching Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, the, one of our favorites was Puppet Master. But there was one moment I remember watching a scary movie with my dad and uh, Afterwards, he pretended to be the monster, and it's like 11 o'clock at night, and he's chasing us down the street going, uh, such a wonderful childhood memory. Uh, but I just always enjoyed them. I did, but I, there was one. There was one in particular. It was called Rawhead Rex. And for, for scary movie fans, this is like that cold, deep pocket one that if people know it, they know what it does to you. And, and Rawhead Rex was this demon monster uh, with this giant head and, and just snarling teeth. And he would uh, attack. He, he was attacking this small little town in, uh, in Ireland. And he was just uh, going at it. And eventually, uh, they defeated this monster. And they, they sent it back to the depths of hell where it belonged uh, type situation. But as a kid, my brother had warned me, don't watch it. It's scary. It scared me. My brother's seven years older than me. I said, nah, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to watch it. 
and I did. And then I remember in this movie, man, that monster walked in the water, like underground, like stomped, and survived. He didn't drown or anything. What if that monster crossed the Atlantic Ocean? Oh, he could do it, because he could walk in water. He just, it might take him a while, but he could do it. What if this monster crossed its way from uh, New York all the way to a small town in California called Paramount and, and showed up at my house? Uh, this is possible, right? Because it's false evidence appearing real in my life. And, and then we had this brick wall in the room that me and my brother shared uh, behind our, the, our window. There's a brick wall. It was about this high, and the window showed and we had lots of cats. Well, with the cats, when they would sit on the brick walls, you know what a cat sitting on a brick wall looks like? It looks like a head. And I remember this as a seven-year-old kid. I'm like, Rawhide Rex is here, covered under the blankets. I'm in fear. It really petrified me. It scared me. Then I really thought that this monster would travel across the Atlantic Ocean, take whatever time it took, travel across America, do a cross-country trip like we're about to do again, probably stop at some places, get some food, and then come to California and Paramount and attack me and my family. Because it was false evidence appearing real in my life. And it, it, it gripped me, it scared me. Um, fear affects us all in different ways, though. I, I think it's interesting. Like, some of us, we can panic. Uh, some of us, we can freeze, right? Um, like my dog, some of us can run and hide. <laughs> Uh, that's Bear's number one thing. It's no joke. Like, we walk sometimes, and he doesn't do it anymore. Now he's gotten a little older, but as a puppy, like, a car made a loud noise, and he's like, taking off down the street, and I have to hold his leash like, no, Bear. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a run and hide. Uh, we can struggle to think clearly. Sometimes we don't think clearly because we're panicking, and the emotions are getting to us, and we're not really filtering what we're thinking based off of what we know, and it's all emotion-driven. Um, we, we can take matters into our own hands, right? We saw this uh, a couple of weeks ago when Pastor preached on Abraham and Hagar and that whole situation, that when we get impatience and we, we lose trust, we take matters into our own hands, and we start doing things our way because we're afraid if we don't step in and intervene, then it's not going to happen. Uh, so uh, it all affects us in different ways, and fear has the tendency to either immobilize us or seriously affect what we do as people. Uh, here's some examples. I already talked about Abraham, but I want to talk about him again. Uh, Abraham's fear led him to lie twice. And actually, it seemed like when I, when I read it again, it seemed like it was a common practice that whenever they went into a new town, he would lie and tell, uh, have his wife Sarah tell everyone around that they were brother and sister because he was afraid that if they found out that that was his wife, that the other nations would kill him for his wife. Uh, so it was fear that led him to do that. Uh, the Israelite nations, uh, as they were about to enter the promised land, they didn't because the fear of the people who were in the promised land and what, who they were, the Nephilim, giant, Rephaim, these, these big old men and these grapes the size of basketballs were there and they were afraid thinking we can't conquer it. So they roamed the desert for 40 years. Uh, King Saul, fear of what people thought led him to be disobedient to God's command and lost his kingdom for it. Uh, the parents in, in the New Testament, the parents of the blind man that Jesus healed, they were afraid to support Jesus because if they did, they would get excommunicated from the synagogue, and, and they didn't want that. So instead of supporting Jesus and facing 
excommunication and not being allowed to go into the synagogue, uh, they chose to be afraid. And then in the parable of the tenants, uh, uh, or the talents, we see fear is the reason that the servant hides the master's uh, talents and buries them. And again, examples of fear, but what about modern day? What are some modern day examples of fear? Well, uh, uh, time travel with me, if you will, to the year uh, ancient, long, long ago of 2020. The virus is spreading around the world quicker than we, we want it to or should. Um, schools are closed down and learning has become remote. Jobs are being relocated into the home uh, and businesses are shutting down and people are trying to juggle life working at home and their kids at home or even their spouse being together in the same place longer than what they used to be. Uh, politics are creating new lines and, and that in the sand that split families and friendships. Um, Riots are happening across country because of uh, racial tension is at an elevated levels. And people were categorized into two categories. You're either vaccinated or you're unvaccinated. And for some reason, and I don't understand this one still, there was an odd rush uh, to buy toilet paper like it was going extinct. <laughs> I still don't understand it. Although we bought two big old boxes of toilet paper. And fear gripped us, and it led to selfishness. It led to violence. It led to division. It led to exclusion, hatred, and pride in our lives. What about now? Right? Let's, let's get into that time machine. Let's get back to today. Gas prices are high. They're, they're extremely high. Right? They keep going up and down. The eggs are valued higher than gold. I, I don't know why a dozen eggs is cheaper than buying or more expensive than buying a brick of gold now today. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the chickens in my backyard doing what they do. Uh, so we have eggs. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's that. Interest rates are extremely high. The cost of living is going up. It doesn't look like it's going down. Uh, the cultural agenda is being pushed all over our country and most importantly being pushed on our children. There's fear of war. And there's Christians running around on social media and in churches saying, it's the end of the times, God's coming back, the rapture is upon us. And it's fear. What about personal? Maybe uh, what's causing some fear in our lives personally? Maybe the fear of losing a job. Maybe there's the fear of not having enough, right? Everything's expensive. Are we going to have enough to make it? It's fear. Maybe there's a health diagnosis that you got. and It's just not a good one, so there's fear on what's on the other side. Maybe there's problems in your marriage, and that's creating fear. How is this going to look in a couple of years? Are we going to be together still? What happened to those vows we made? And there's problems, and we get afraid. Uh, maybe it's the, the fear of never finding love, right? This is a common one. I looked it up. This is like high up there, a fear of never finding true love. Uh, maybe it's the fear of failure. This is right underneath it. I don't do things because I'm afraid that if I do, I'm going to fail. Thankfully, we learned last week that failure isn't a step back. It's a step forward. Um, maybe it's being excluded by others. If I stand on my beliefs and my principles, then these people will kick me out. Maybe your children's future, right? We talked about it. The future is looking scary, and our children, what are they going to live in? What kind of world is being shaped for them? I don't know. It doesn't look good. What do we do? I don't know. Bring them in here and shelter them so we can keep them safe from the scary monster that is the world. Maybe it's aging. I looked in the mirror yesterday. I do it a lot. 
I think we've, we all know I've talked about my vanity issues. We don't need to get into it again. God's working on me in so many areas. But I looked, I know this, this right here, this is all gray, and I know that, that, that I was fine with. I know there's a few coming in here, and there's a few here and there. Um, there's one in my nose, don't tell anyone about that one. But I saw a patch right here of gray that I'd never seen before. It, like a, like it looked like a cluster, like they all just said, let's go right there at that spot. And I was like, man, I'm getting old. And before, it'd be like, I'm getting old, I don't care. Gray, come on in. It was the first time it hit me, and I was really like, oh, man, 41 this year. If I live to the statistic age of 80, I'm halfway done. What have I done with my life? Where am I going? What have I accomplished? It was a mess. Um, and then two minutes later, I walked out of the restroom, and I was fine. So it, that's just the way my brain works. Uh, maybe it's the fear of being authentic. If I'm real with everybody, if I expose the real who I am, they're not going to like me. They're not going to accept me. So I pretend. I put on the mask. I tell them everything's good. How are you doing? Good. How about you? God, great. Couldn't be better. Maybe say something like, oh, I can't complain. But really inside, you're like, I, I want to complain. Because it's fear. It's fear moving us from moving forward. The list could go on and on. The point is spirit, the, that this spirit of fear uh, remember that it doesn't come from God it will keep us in bondage it will make us its slave it will cripple us in our relationship with God and others I am petrified of heights it's just a thing I'm short so I think that's one of the reasons <laughs> I don't know what the world looks like from a Matt Wilkerson perspective of giant you know I just know it down here at the five foot, don't tell anyone, five foot six level. Everywhere else is five foot eight, especially on my license. Uh, but don't tell them that. So I'm afraid of heights. I really am. But, but it's a weird fear. If, if we're doing like some uh, hiking or mountain climbing, and I get to the top of the mountain, I'm all like, conqueror, yeah, ooh, look at the edge, I'm totally fine. We're at the Grand Canyon, and I'm like, oh, look at Justine, this is so cool. And she's like, get back over here. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. If we're walking around a downtown city and there's tall buildings and I look up, my knees buckle. If we're driving over a long bridge, uh, I, I, I actually, I don't drive them, Justine does. I lean back in the car in the seat as far back as I can. I grab my phone and just look at this until we're over the bridge. Um, it's, just, it's a weird phobia that I have. And it could cripple me, but one thing I do, this is one thing I do. Uh, anytime I'm at Knott's Berry Farm, I force myself to go on Supreme Screen. Anytime. I know I'm going to hate it. I feel the emotions. I feel the sweat building on my forehead as I'm in line. And I, I constantly, I'm not talkative as much as I normally am. And I'm just watching it go up and people scream on their way down as they're falling to what seems like their death and fear rushing on their face. But I have a few tricks. When the thing goes up, it does this thing before it lets go. It goes and then it drops. So when it goes up and it goes, I count, one, two, three. And this is why. So when I'm up there and my feet are dangling and I feel like my shoes are gonna fall off and I'm afraid and I can see almost the whole town of Anaheim from up at that very top. And I'm holding on to life because I think what happens if this thing lets go and all of a sudden I'm just, you know, like, you know, false evidence of things appearing real just hits my brain. Right? And it just does that. And I'm holding on to this thing because even if it breaks loose, I am not letting go. 
I'm going to hold on. And I'm holding on to it, and it gets up to the top, and it goes, and I go, three, two, one, and then it drops. And the moment it drops, I'm fine. The fear's gone. The, the anxiety, the worry, the ridiculous thoughts in my brain melt away, and all that's left there is the thrill and the excitement of the rush of adrenaline going through my body. Um, and I think that's how we combat, combat this fear thing. I think it takes courage. Uh, and it's tough because I don't want to sit here and be like, you just need more courage. That's not going to be my message of, hey, you just need to have more courage in your life. Uh, uh, but I do think that's kind of how it works. See, when Moses passed on and Joshua took over for the, uh, the, the nation and, and the children of Israel, and he was now leading them into the promised land to conquer, uh, God gave him two commands. The first one was, don't be afraid. And then the second one was, be courageous. So in order to not be afraid, I have to be courageous. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, So if we want to remove all fears we have, uh, courage moves us forward and prevents us from being bondaged in fear. Uh, It was courage that allowed the three young Hebrews to not bow down before the image of the king of Babylon and get thrown in the fire and say, even if my God doesn't save us, we will not do this. It was the courage in David that allowed him to pick up those stones, stand before this giant that everyone else was afraid of, even the king at the time, to go up and say, no, no, you've disrespected my God. I'm going to stand before you and, and make sure you don't stand anymore. It was the courage of the prophets in the Old Testament that constantly challenged the people, get right with God, get right with God, stop worshiping the idols. It was the courage in these prophets, and some of them are those minor prophets in the back of your book, like Zephaniah and Haggai. Yes, these are real books in your Bible. Uh, Habakkuk, they're all there. And they went not only before the people, but before the kings and said the nation isn't going the way God designed it. We need to stop worshiping the idols. I heard it once said that fear can be in the car, it just can't be the driver. So I'm not here to tell you that we need to remove the fear that's completely in us, because I think fear, it's in there, and it's going to be in there, and it's going to constantly be waging war. But it just can't lead the vehicle and where it's going in our life. I also like the way Rick Warren summarized uh, 2 Timothy uh, 1, 6-7. He said, uh, fear is self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. You will move against it with the weapons of faith and love. And, and that's really what it is. And here's, here's the other thing before we get into our scripture. Uh, I, I firmly believe uh, that courage is faith in action. Sometimes we, we, we kind of get boggled down with what is faith? What does it look like for me to express my faith? And I feel like taking that step forward in a scary situation is that faith in action. So courage is faith in action. So with all this in mind, let's jump into our passage for today and let's, let's look at how do we change our fear into faith. The first point is this, and then we'll get into the scripture. It says, believe in God despite the circumstances. Uh, so uh, it's in there. It'll, it'll be on the TV. If not, it's, um, hopefully it's in your bulletins. But we're in Mark 4, and it says in verse 35, uh, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. That's important. Don't forget that. Uh, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Uh, they were, there were also other boats with them, and a furious squall came upon uh, them, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
uh, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion, cushion, and the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm going to stop there. So let's paint the picture. Uh, Jesus tells them, let's go to the other side. And they're like, okay. So they all get in the boat. Uh, and, and for some reason, Mark makes it important to say there are other boats with them. I don't know why this is there. I tried thinking about this. I'm thinking it's like there are other boats. Trust me, this isn't just a story that I'm telling you. Other people saw this type situation. Uh, so I, I'm thinking it's to make it more personal. And, and then on the way, a storm hits. And it's a strong one. Tossing the boat like it's just a toy. It nearly swamped them. And we have to remember that the the disciples in the boat, like at least four of them were seasoned fishermen who fished this sea. They knew the storms. They knew they were out there in storms before. But even for these seasoned fishermen, uh, this terrified them. This made them afraid. So that, that, again, is telling us, like, these are little clues in Scripture. Like, uh, I've heard it this way, that the, the, the Bible is like a slinky. And you have it like this, right, where it's all like, compact and you see what it is but when you start to expand it and stretch it out you start to see more and more of what it really is and that's what this is how what mark is doing here he's he's telling us these things because it's important for us to know that this is how bad this storm was that even the guys who are used to the storm uh they were afraid of it I, i was in a storm one time in a boat it was sprinkling pretty bad and uh that was the storm. It was sprinkling pretty bad, but the waves were pretty choppy. And we went fishing, me and my older brother, and I loved ocean fishing, man. I loved casting out and, and catching stuff and reeling it in. And uh, we went, and it was like early morning, and he's like, here, you, you got to drink a Coke because uh, a Coke helps you uh, not get seasick. I didn't know if that worked too much, so I drank it, and I'm like, okay, we're out there. But man, that boat was rocking, and there was a point when we were going out where like, there's the water here's my face and body just parallel to it as i'm holding on and we're going back and forth and i feel everything inside of me say it's time to come out and i just remember asking my brother if i'm gonna throw up which way do i do it and he said off the boat off the boat and i just that was the last thing i slept the rest of the trip i was just not good uh but i this this my storm Oh, was minor in comparison to what they were experiencing. Uh, I, I read in the commentary, a storm in the evening was especially dangerous for them. Uh, so this was their circumstances. This is, was their situation. This is where they were at. And, and even in the book of Daniel, we see that uh, uh, the sea is where the monsters come from in the book of Daniel. And there's, there's these ties to, and I've covered a little bit more, to that the sea and the, the ocean, is, or the sea, is chaos. It's a description of chaos, and that the people of the ancient times believed that this is where evil and darkness was coming from, and it was contained by God. Uh, so in this sea of darkness, scary, going back and forth, uh, they run to Jesus, and they were upset, and they're like, don't you care? And what led them to question this? It was fear. You see, in the mindset of their circumstances, they forgot the promise Jesus made to them. In the midst of what they were experiencing, they forgot what he said. It was at the beginning. Do you guys remember? Let's go to the other side. We're going to the other side. That was the promise. The promise of Jesus was, let's go on to the other side. You know what happened? Circumstances hit them, and it said, oh, no, you're not. And that's what they believed. Ah, we're not going to make it to the other side. Jesus is asleep. What are we going to do? I feel at times we do the same. Uh, we feel like the, the boat we call life is going, uh, going to sink because the circumstances that create storms are so great. They're so overwhelming us. 
And we look at the disciples and say, how could you dare ask Jesus who's sleeping if you care? And then we hit them circumstances and we're like, God, do you even care about me? He does care. That's why the promise from God was, and we should never forget this one, is I'm with you always. But I was looking at it. I don't know. I don't have the stats. I'm not going to like go into do a quick study. I just saw this today when I was doing my reading. And I thought, huh, this is interesting. It was, don't be afraid. I am with you. And I'm just wondering how many times in the Bible that statement of don't be afraid is followed by I am with you. And I started thinking about it. I was like, well, there's that time. There's this time. Well, maybe it's a lot more than we realize. Every high, every middle, every low, and every pit, that is the promise that he is with us. And if we believe in that promise, and if we believe in God over the circumstance, we can move forward in faith. The next point is this. Uh, we got to focus on God and not the problem. The disciples woke up and said to him, Teacher, if you care, uh, we drown. So we talked about this. Not only did they forget the promise, but they forgot who was with them. They forgot what this guy had already done previously before them getting in the boat. They had forgot this thing. So they, they, they cried out, Teacher, uh, and, but but they, they'll learn that day because that, that's an important word to me when I see that there in this situation. Teacher, what they're going to learn is that that man, Jesus, sleeping on that cushion in the middle of the storm was more than just teacher. He was Savior. And he was Lord. And this is the lesson that they had to learn. They had to learn, should we trust in the true God and who he is. And, and really, uh, what Mark is doing here is that he's saying that uh, what is true about God is also true about Jesus. That we can trust both of them. And this, this isn't a tale about a danger and rescue story. Uh, behind it is so much more. If we, if we go back, taking us back to Genesis 1, where God spoke and his word brought order to the chaos of waters. It takes us then uh, to the crossing of the Red Sea where God spoke and his word split the passage for them and split the sea so that the Israelites could move safely through it. It says, hey, do you remember Psalm 65, 7? And, and they, they didn't have verses back then, but for this point, they are. Uh, 89, 9, because you can write these down. 93, 3 through 4, 107, 29, where it talks about God controlling the waters and the oceans and the sea and bringing stillness over them. That God, yeah, that's Jesus. And he does the same. He is a personal, he is the personal living God who intervenes in the experiences of us with a revelation of his power and his will. And this is what this portion of scripture is about. It's God showing us, it's, it's Mark to the readers in the audience saying, this is who this Jesus was. Because there are people going around at this time when Mark wrote his gospel, there are people going around at this time saying, Jesus, he wasn't real. Or he was real, but he was just a good teacher. He said some nice things. And that story about him coming back to life, that's all fabricated by his disciples. And they just made it up. And Mark is saying, no. And the crazy part of this isn't, uh, the people saying these, these things, they're not like the Gentiles or other nations. It's the Jews. It's the people who knew God and should believe in Jesus because of what they knew of God. And Mark is saying, no, this, this, what you know about God is what we know about Jesus. And what was true about him is true about him. 
This is God, and this was God who came to us to be Savior and Lord. And Mark's invitation to all of us is, okay, go on. Wake Jesus up. Pray to him in your fear and anger. And run to him. But you got to move your eyes off the problem and move them to him. There's one thing I love about the Psalms prayer, uh, prayers in the Old Testament is that uh, they're real. They're in your face. David writes so many of them. There's some in there where David's are like, knock out the teeth of my enemy, God. And you're like, can we pray like that? <laughs> but they're just authentic. Here's some from Psalm 7, 6. Wake up, God. It's time to call the wicked to account. Wake up, I need some help. Psalm 35, 23. Rouse yourself, where you, where, why are you asleep? Wake up, don't cast us away. Psalms 44, 23. Wake up and show the pagans who's boss. 59, 5. I like that word, pagans. I don't know why. I use it too often at people. Um, the prophet Isaiah even says the same thing. Wake up, wake up, arm of the Lord. Show us how strong you are. So what has your attention? God or the problems. In a way to me, and I, I just thought about this yesterday, in a way to me, this is kind of like breaking the first commandment in a sense. Because when I give all my attention to my problems, you know what I'm kind of doing? I'm kind of worshiping them. I'm kind of bowing down to them. They're stronger than me. They're bigger than everything. And, and we're, we're putting the problem before God, and the way to correct this is putting God back where he belongs. Run to him. Pray like we mentioned in anger and in fear, but make sure he has all your focus. It's okay to tell God how angry you are. It's okay to tell God how afraid you are. But make sure you're telling him and not the problem. Because you know what the problem is going to say to you when you say how afraid you are and that you messed up and things are looking bad? Good luck. That's on you. You know what God's going to say when you go to him? Come here. I got you. Remember, I'm not just a teacher. I'm Lord and Savior. And I know from this perspective of our muddled and messy lives that God can seem like he's asleep sometimes. But he's not. He's just waiting for the perfect time. He's just waiting for the divine time to do things. And that brings us to our next point. Trusting God's timing. Mark 39, 439 continues. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the winds died down, and it was completely calm. See, we know we have an all-seeing God. We know that he's all-knowing, omnipresent, omnicompetent. But where fear creeps in is when nothing is happening. That's a, that's a good spot. Fear likes to show up in our lives. When we're waiting... When life isn't where I thought it should be. Uh, when things aren't moving at my time. That storm that the disciples were in, it was going to stop, right? The promise was we're going to the other side. It was going to stop. Jesus needed to get to the other side. It wasn't just like Jesus was like, let's just go over there. And it was all willy-nilly and on a whim. No, Jesus had a divine purpose on the other side. See, on the other side of the sea was a man who had been tormented by demons named Legion, 
who were causing him to be shackled and in chains and in bondage, and he was breaking them, and he, he was just a mess of a person, and he was in bondage by this demon, and Jesus needed to get to the other side to free that man. That's why he said, let's go to the other side. If you read Mark chapter 5, he goes over there. He handles business. He tells that demon, get out. It goes into pigs. It runs into water. And then Jesus heads back over to the other side again. God's timing, God's purpose, it was all divine. And no, 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 a quick note. Uh, one, this is interesting. This is the only reason why I throw this in here. This is like kind of the nerd side of me in the Bible. Um, one commentator notes the word rebuked here, uh, used here, is the same word Jesus used when dealing with demons. Perhaps the enemy was trying to keep Jesus from arriving to the other side. Wow, right? That makes this more interesting, that this storm maybe just wasn't a storm of nature, just happenstance, that it just didn't come out of nowhere. Maybe it was an enemy trying to prevent and delay Jesus from getting to where he needed to be. But God's divine time, and I really like this idea because the idea that it brings this battle to the sea where Jesus just demolishes the demonic forces with the command of his voice. And I also think that no amount of enemy interference in our lives or interruption can stop God's will and God's timing from happening in our lives. The enemy's going to try to do it. He's going to try to slow us down. He's going to try to prevent things. But God's timing says, I've got this. And it's going to happen when it happens. And when it happens, you'll know it's right. And I think, again, that's the biggest battle we face is waiting because this is the fear that leads to doubt. We doubt that God loves us. Uh, the enemy, like the storm uh, thrown at the disciples, will make us question God's love. He will whisper in our ears, if he truly did love you, wouldn't this happen? The thing you will want, it'll happen now, right? If he truly loved you. And that's what the enemy does. He just whispers a lot in our ears. You know, we like to think sometimes we get kind of confused with the idea that because it's good versus evil and that the evil, there's always like, you know, we think of like the Avengers, right? There was the great evil of Thanos, this one man who was defeating the heroes, the multiple heroes. And we think that's kind of the battle here. But really, our enemy is nowhere near our God. He can't even stand in his presence. This isn't a battle of back and forth dueling. This is me fighting with my son Reed. If I want to, I just hold him because he's so little still and I just keep him. And he ain't doing anything, no matter how much he squirms, yells. And when I want to be really devious, I go for the shot that I know takes Reed down instantly. Tickles. Right under the armpit. I go with these two fingers and he just collapses like his body can't stand. My favorite part of it, and I shared this Wednesday at the Grow You, my favorite part of when I'm messing with Reed this way is sometimes I don't even have to touch him. I just put my finger right by his throat and move it ever so slightly just hovering and he's like ah, I give up dad you're the boss you're in charge you're the best dad in the world and I'm like you're right don't forget it that's God and Satan this is that battle and the enemy is just whispering because if he could whisper to us and get us to forget God loves us then we're off course we're off track and what we need to remember is that our God loves us and we need to have courage to say no not my time not my will but God's time and God's will I trust that when it happens, it's because my good father knew that was the perfect time for me. Our last point, 
Obey God one step at a time. He, says to his, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds obeyed him. It's in the moments of fear that we are forced to answer this question. Do you still have faith? This world is falling apart. My world is falling apart. And with a soft whisper, our God says, do you still have faith? Yeah. But I'm afraid. And I'm scared. And he says lovingly, like a good dad, don't be. Take courage. I'm with you always. All you have to do is take one step forward of obedience. It's just one step. I used to do uh, wrestling. I think, have I mentioned this before here? Uh, I've said it sometimes, but maybe not here in this bigger audience. I used to do wrestling, like, not like Jonathan, who's a CIF champion, uh, school wrestling. I used to do the fake stuff that you see on TV. Um, and it's not fake. Don't even get me started on that. We'll have a whole discussion. You'll be here for another two hours if anyone tells me it's fake. Because uh, I've experienced this. This stuff hurts. It's real. But we're doing it. <clears throat> and on TV, you see these guys, they bounce off the ropes, and they run full head of steam out the ring in between two ropes. And you're like, man, that's cool. So we were getting to learn this one day. And we're, you know, I'm advanced now into like, you learn how to jump out of the ring now. You know how to fall. That's the first thing they teach you. Learn how to fall. So you don't hurt yourself more. <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself. Just learn how to do it. Yeah, kind of. Um, so the, we're doing it, and, and we weren't, we, technically we weren't supposed to be learning this, but uh, the guy who was running the class, he was, he was, he was like, we're just going to have you guys do this for today. And uh, one of the guys who did this, and I, mind you, at this time, like, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, young Chris in his 20s. You know, this is like 35-year-old midlife crisis Chris uh, trying to think he can do something like this. And... Uh, there's younger guys in there in their 20s, and this young guy who's like top of the class, he did everything perfect the first time, he goes to do it first, and he runs off the rope, and he goes to dive in between the two ropes, it's like this much gap in between them so you know, and his feet, as he's going out, hits the rope, and he falls on the apron on his face, and I was like, oh man, if he can't do it, why am I going to try this next? But I stepped one step in the ring. I got in there, and I'm looking at this, and my brain is doing that thing. Remember I talked to you guys about? They're just always thinking and thinking, fear, uh, evidence, of things that aren't really real. That thing's happening, and I'm like, I, I, what am I going to do? I'm already in the ring. If I walk out, that's going to be worse for me. And the, the coach comes up to me, and he says, Chris, I know what you're thinking. You're not going to make it. You're, you're <laughs> I was like, yeah, how did you know that? He's like, sail on your face. Uh, you're not going to make it. You think that when you jump through, your feet are going to hit the rope and you're going to fall forward. And I said, yeah. I said, it's not. All you have to do is run as fast as you can that way, run as fast as you can this way, and jump. And I don't know why, but for that moment, that guy just seemed like he dropped an epiphany on my life. And I was like, you're a genius. And I ran, and I hit the ropes, and I jumped, and I went through. And I landed on the guy who was supposed to catch me. And I did it. And it was exhilarating. And I was like, man, this is so cool. But it's one step. One step of courage. Doing it. Moving forward. Yeah, there's fear. And you can look at everything logically. You could look at your situation and think, here's everything before me, and what is God saying? I just need you to take one step today. 
Move one step closer towards me. Take your eyes off the problem. Believe in me. Trust in my timing. And move forward one step in courage. For the disciples, this was one of many events where they would learn how to conquer their fear. They would be challenged again and again and again whether they would be obedient and take that step or not. For most of the disciples, this would mean death. They would take that step. Why? Because faith. N.T. Wright puts it this way. In his book, Mark for Everyone, he writes, uh, anyone who already knew Mark's whole story might well read this paragraph and see in it like someone looking the wrong way through a pair of binoculars, a tiny version of the whole thing. Here is Jesus with his disciples going about their business, and here are the forces of evil, madmen shrieking in the synagogues, angry men plotting, powerful men capturing Jesus and putting him to death. Here is Jesus, not now on a pillow uh, asleep, but slumped on the cross. We hear in his voice, why are you afraid? Don't you believe? Oh, on the third day, the storm is still. The tomb is empty, and great fear comes upon them and says, who then is this? These moments stacked on top of another is what led them to have courage to do what Jesus asked them to do. And it's the moments of obedience stacked up on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other that lead us to follow Christ the way we should, in faith. But this poses a difficult question. I think it's the first one we have to tackle. The band could come up. Uh, The first question is this. Who is God in your life? Because without knowing this question of who God is in your life, you you don't have it right. Does everyone remember when I did the button thing a couple of months ago? Where I walked up here at the end of Pastor's message, and I had, I think it was this shirt. Uh, I had all the buttons disheveled and out of place, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at Chris. He's the guy who walked up early before uh, he was supposed to do announcements, a song early. He's doing the goofy thing again. And I was like, no, you have to get everything in order, or else you look foolish. This is number one. The first button in our life is who God is in your life. Is he still just teacher? Or has it become Savior and Lord? Because if he's just teacher, there's going to be a lot of fear in your life. There's going to be a lot of doubt. But he's Savior and Lord. There's courage. Because you know who's on the boat with you and what this boat we call life. You know who's in the boat with you. He's always with us. The next one is this. What are you fanning into flames? Let's go back. First verse we read. Paul writing to his young apprentice, Timothy. Timothy's struggling in the church that he's been at pastoring and leading. And Paul tells him this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. What are we fanning into flames in our lives? Is it fear or is it faith? If it's fear, nothing changes. Just going to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep shrieking back. You're not going to move forward. You're not going to grow. If it's faith, well, maybe nothing changes with the situations we're going through wise. But you change. You grow. And you know who God is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. For the stories that, that are in it over and over again. Encouraging us, challenging us, and reminding us that you're with us. 
That in the midst of our situations or circumstances, your love and mercy, your power and grace engulfs our lives so that we can move forward in faith. That we could take that step of courage in obedience and move beyond our circumstances and situations and focus in on who you are, your love, your great, great love. I pray today, God, if there's anyone who's just being overwhelmed by the fear in their lives of what they're going through, anyone who's uh, just gripped in, in bondage of it, Lord, that you would just allow them to take that step today to move in the freedom that you've given us, the freedom that you offer to us, the freedom that you provided to us on the cross. I thank you, God, for you are good. In your name we pray, amen. The altar is open if you want to pray about anything. If you want to pray and say, you know what, I need to change who Jesus is in my life, and I need to know who God is, and I want to put him first, you can come do that. Uh, if you want to pray to release yourself from the bondage of fear, you are more than welcome to.